So this morning, we're going to continue with the Gospel of Mark, of course. We're still laboring away in chapter 1. This morning is a little different, though, because I want to go backwards and forwards at the same time. So in the first chapter, three times, it talks about Jesus preaching. And so I'm, I'm going to look at the verses about Jesus preaching. Because Jesus uh, says something that I, even now, after all the study, I, I, after even what I'm, I know I'm going to say here, he, he says he came to preach. That's what he came to do. I, I still find that hard to believe. Um, of all the things the king of the universe could have done, he's going to go around and preach. That was his job. And, and that is fascinating to me. Um, as a preacher, it's, um, it's hard to believe that that's what... I, I would just f- pick like 50 other more effective things, I think, right? <laughs> if you're going to go to war against the powers of darkness... Uh, I would look more like that stupid Constantine movie that they made several years ago, you know, like the angel with the big swords. Like that, to me, that's like slaying demons. Apparently, Jesus and his word is all you need. So that, that's good news. That's very good news. So we're going to look at Jesus the preacher. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, um, uh, the, the mysteries involved in who your son is, Father. Uh, he is the word of God. He came and declared the word of God. He is the power, he is the life, he is the love and compassion that um, you have for your people. You made us and we ran from you and, and you chased us down. And you chased us down through your son. Uh, it, it is amazing that you are as near to us as that, that you are still as near to us as that, that you care about us and what goes on in our lives, and that you always have a word for us and in our circumstances. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the word that has been handed down to us. We pray now by the, that by the Spirit we would understand these things, that we would draw even closer to you, that we would in fact know how near the kingdom of God is to each one of us, and that we would in fact, as Christ declared, repent and believe this glorious truth. Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. So we're going to go back. If you go to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, This is way back. This is a couple weeks ago. This is very near the beginning. And this is what it says in verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So these are the first two verses. We're going to go on to look at verses 21 and 22, and then 35 through 39. But we're going to start here because he says a couple of important things. The emphasis upon the fullness of time grounds Jesus' proclamation securely in the history of revelation and redemption. It focuses attention upon the God who is acting, the God who is doing, whose past election and redemption of Israel provided the pledge of his activity in the future. Because he chose Israel, because he promised Israel certain things, because he gave them the temple, because he gave them his word, because he sent them his prophets, all of that means he's going to come and do something great. He's going to do, come and do something powerful, something to deliver them, something to win them back. And, and what that is... What that is, there's a great deal of speculation all through the Old Testament about what that is going to be. And, and, and this is what's so fascinating about this, is that everything is historical. Your birth was historical, a sitting here is his, everything is historical because everything happens in history. But not everything is historic. 
Um, as a history teacher, when I taught for two years, uh, as a history buff, I have been since I was eight years old, uh, you study historic events, right? I, I don't, the, the world is full of, of people who we don't know anything about, who who's, has no, no one here, I am sure, I love you all dearly, I don't think there's going to be a great deal of biographies written about us, right? There's not going to be a statue, like, out here in the parking lot 100 years from now, this is where Redeemer Church used to meet, and here's all the names, Right? We're not exactly historic, even though we're historical. Does that make sense? <laughs> so what are some historic events? Right? And, and if you think about full, right, the fullness of time, he says here, it's really hard to, to demonstrate in English what he means by this Greek word, the fullness of time. Of the historical moments, there is nothing more historic than this. This is the most historic of the historic. And, and if you think of times and places... Uh, where there, it's been full of history. Um, my, my wife and I had the benefit of going once to um, uh, Philadelphia, and, and I couldn't believe it when I found out, but I stood in a room where George Washington had stood, and he was the president. And his cabinet was made up of a bunch of, you know, no names, like uh, John Adams and Jefferson, right, and Hamilton. You're like, all of these people would sit around a dinner table. All of these people sat in this pew right here. I'm in this room, I just, I, I was like, the fullness of it. It, it. It's hard to believe. I mean, what must it have been like the first time, um, you know, you, um, President FDR and Winston Churchill sitting down uh, smoking cigars together? Like, I mean, here's two men talking about how they're going to knock off Hitler. I mean, th that seems like those two guys in that room, I would have liked to have been in that room, right? Uh, there's sports moments like this. Uh, Drew Brees just threw uh, for the further, you know, the most yards of any quarterback. And, you, and everyone just goes nuts. Everyone knows exactly what's going to happen. He throws the pass. Everyone goes crazy. They bring his family out. It's this huge historic moment. But nothing, nothing that you've personally witnessed, you were sitting there on 9-11 watching it happen, right? And that felt like a very pregnant moment, didn't it? It felt historic. Remember how that felt on that morning? You're like, this, this has changed everything. Well, God says that that fullness that, that we've experienced with historic events is nothing compared to the fullness of time when Christ comes. The coming of Jesus into the world, it, it just, it fills time up. The fullness of Christ in, in so many different ways is amazing. One of those ways is the fullness of time. The things he touched, the places he went, um, who he spoke to, Right, the first time he stands up and preaches a sermon, the first time, I mean, think about what there in the table, he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. The first time he did that, we, there are Christians celebrating that every Sunday for 2,000 years. Is there any other historic event like that, that we celebrate week in and week out? So everywhere he went and everything he did is full. There's just this heaviness, this weight to everything he's doing. No historic moment compares to this, right? This is what this Greek word that, you, that he uses here. The fullness of time has come, and, and that fullness is a person. The kingdom of God has come, and that kingdom is a person. Now think about that. The, the, the most profound thing that God ever did in history was a man named Jesus. The, the coming of the kingdom, this thing everyone is waiting for, what's it going to look like, what's it going to be like, and it's a carpenter from Nazareth. It's, it's astounding. I, 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 none of us would ever even come close <laughs> to writing the story this way. 
uh, In announcing the kingdom of God, the accent falls upon God's initiative. This is God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is a distinctive component of redemptive history. It belongs to the God who comes and invades history in order to secure man's redemption. Remember, heaven was torn open, ripped open. The coming of God into this world is something that, that stirs it up. It's something that's cataclysmic. And, and it comes in the mundaneness of a, of a carpenter. <laughs> right? we, we think historic moments are, are, again, like Winston Churchill and FDR sitting around having a cigar. We don't think of the mundane things as being historic. But wherever Christ is, there is this fullness of time. When, when, when you are laying your life down for your wife, when you're, when you're engaging in an act of kindness and compassion like Christ did, and he's there, he's the motivation, he's the thing, he's there, and that fullness of time, you're experiencing it. In Christ, we are drawn into the most historic things that have ever happened in this world. Right? You, engaging in the life of God by being brought into Christ and acting like him, sitting around your dinner table, is bringing this historic the historicness of this, into your home. It elevates everything around it. It elevates everything around it. Mark clearly understands that it is Jesus' appearance, which is the decisive event in the redemptive plan of God. He gets it. This, in human history, is the thing. God has begun to bring his kingdom in the coming of his son. The Messiah is present among the covenant people, and through him the redemption of his people has begun. The the conquest has already started. It doesn't look like it, it doesn't sound like it, but it has begun. The kingdom has drawn near spatially in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus, men are confronted in his person by the kingdom of God. A faithful response to the proclamation of the gospel is imperative. How do you respond when this person shows up? You go around and, and all, you, all you know is mere mortals. How do you respond when the person and work of Jesus Christ comes into your life? It's the decisive question. Here's the moment where I die and, and in him I live. Here's the moment where I turn everything over to him. Think of these moments we have all the time. The presence of God, he's as close as our hand. God is at hand, it says in Philippians. He's that close to us. And as as we are engaging with him, that's the decision that we're making all the time. Is he here right now? Is his plan the plan? Is his work the work I'm doing? Is his word the word I'm saying? When people hear me, do they hear him? When they see me, do they see him? When I come near, is it like he came near? He, he, when he is there, and he's always there, how are we responding to that nearness? That's the question for every human being's life. He is at hand. So how are you responding? Jesus proclaims the kingdom not to give content, but to convey a summons. He's not describing the kingdom. He's not saying it's X number of feet wide, tall. This is what the castles look like. This is what a crown looks like. <laughs> right? He's not, just, he's not describing a constitution. He has drawn near, he's coming, and, 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 and he's proclaiming a summons. He's not, he's not giving you a bunch of information, he just says, come. And, and this is, is what he does in everyone's life. Right? Think of how much you thought you knew when you first became a believer. Right? I, I, I thought I knew as much then as I know now. 
but I didn't know anything compared to what I know now. Right? He didn't, get, he didn't say, here's the plan for life. He didn't say, here's a complete understanding of every verse in the Bible. He said, come and follow me. And, and how I respond, and, and this is always what it is. He says, follow me. You, you look at your life. You look at the thing right there on Tuesday morning. Here's the customer. right? Here's the client at your window on the phone. Are you going to follow him or not? This is the decisive moment, and it, and it didn't happen back when you were converted. It's happening all the time. He's constantly not giving you all the information. He just says, follow me and, and do as I do, and say, speak as I speak, act as I act, believe as I believe, follow me, do this. Right? Peter, he, he, the first time he sees Peter, he says, follow me. The last time he sees Peter, at the very end, after he's been restored, he says exactly the same thing, because it's always the message. It's always the message. Follow me. The, the, what he preaches here is, 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 is very basic, and it's a summons. And we see immediately, what do we see? Right? Jesus has gone into the wilderness. He comes out. Now he's going around proclaiming this message. And what's he do? He goes and he calls the first disciples. Right? And does he explain anything? Does he give them a long exhortation? He says, he says follow me. And so this whole thing, Mark is showing us in miniature what the Christian life is all about. Jesus is present, and Jesus says, follow me. And you either do it or you don't. You follow him or you don't. You engage with him or you don't. It's not more complicated than that. It's that simple. And yet, simple can still be profound. Don't get me wrong. Just because something is simple doesn't mean it cannot also be profound. Your, your everyday moments of every, every day, your life is about this. Are you going to follow him or aren't you? The disciples responded, how are you responding? In general, how are you responding? Are you following him? Right? Oh, well, I go to, right? And then what do we do? I ask that question, we start to list off things. Well, I go to church. I own Bibles. I don't swear. Right? I'm somewhat careful about what I watch on TV. <laughs> We start listing, uh, but it's not this moment back in, in history where you decided to follow him and then he just leaves it at that. Right? That's what this whole section I'm going to be covering today. He is right this moment, right this moment, right now, right now. Follow me, he says. I'm, I'm here. I am the kingdom of God. Are you coming or are you staying? We go to Mark... Chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. And this is what we read there. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, there is a difference in, in Greek words, kirgme and didache. I'm not going to get in, right? I could do a whole series on the differences. There's a difference between preaching and teaching. What I find is... Um, Right, he says he came to preach, but then he sa it says he's teaching, and then sometimes it says he's preaching, and what's the difference? Well, I, I think that too many people overcomplicate this, because every good sermon, if it's good at all, has both. Right? I, I just described to you what Greek words are, so that's teaching. Now, um, because, of, because of the teaching, you must obey it, right? That, that's preaching. <laughs> so you'll see, as I go here, I'm going to teach and then I'll preach, and I'll teach, and then I'll preach. Because teaching is explaining things. Preaching is do this. It's, it's a declarative statement that God has said, 
therefore do. And Jesus goes around and he does both. Now, it's fascinating. I'm sure all of us in the Christian life, there are teachers and there are preachers and there are people who can do both. It's very rare to, to do both well. Uh, there's a lot of really excellent teachers who can occasionally, what they're saying gets into the preaching aspect. <laughs> aspect. One of my favorite, I love him, he's, he's now gone on, but R.C. Sproul was like the greatest teacher ever in the Christian faith. But, but everything was teaching. When you hear his sermons, it's just teaching. Um, to rise to this level, I mean, Jesus is doing both. You, it, you know, Paul describes the fact that the church needs both teachers and preachers. Uh, I pray all the time that I, my teaching would, would be elevated to the level of preaching because it's what we want to be like Jesus. We want to not just teach people, we want to proclaim to them the word of God declaratively. So I just wanted to talk about that. There is a difference there, and, and, and not to be confused. They, they interchange the two because when you're preaching, you're teaching. When you're teaching, you're preaching, hopefully. So in these verses, we see that Jesus' sermons are expositions of power. It doesn't just record the fact that he went there and talked. This is what last week was about. He comes, he speaks, he creates conflict with the forces of darkness, and he drives out the demon. The story in Capernaum here is he goes in here and he preaches, and for the first time, the demoniac, the guy who's possessed by a demon who's just hanging out in the synagogue with all the other believers, finally is confronted with both teaching and preaching. There's an authoritative statement in which some decision has to be made, and the decision is the demon wants nothing to do with what's going on, and so he's driven out. So when Jesus preaches, something happens. If nothing happens when the preaching occurs, it's not preaching. Okay, this is, for, I, I can't tell you, I have gray hairs on my head right now from this idea. If you just get up and talk, and everyone thinks, oh, that was fantastic, that was wonderful. Your alliteration was good. You described some verses really well. But if everybody just leaves here and, and just goes on doing exactly what they were doing before, it, it didn't get to the preaching level. When Jesus speaks, something happens. Uh, George Whitfield understood this. George Whitfield was a very famous preacher. He could speak so loud, I think Benjamin Franklin figured out that he could speak in an open field to 10,000 people, and they could hear him. Think about that. Think about that. That is unbelievable. But George Whitfield was asked, he was a very popular preacher. At one point, he was asked how he knew if he had preached a good sermon. How do you know, George, that it was good? He said, either someone got saved or someone got really angry. <laughs> and I just, I mean, seriously, I, I wish either people were falling down in tears, turning their lives over to Jesus, or throwing chairs at me. Um, I, right? Now, what happens is, I could say a lot of things, right? This is Christian teaching is very hard. I could say a lot of things that just get chairs thrown at me for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> That's not what I'm going for. But, but you see how Jesus does it. He comes in, he teaches, he declares the word of God, and the demoniac stands up and starts, and here we have agitation, stirring of the waters. He shakes the tree and things fall out. And then he's got to take the guy who fell out of the tree and heal him and send him on his way. This is what we hope preaching does. So later when we get in, what I'm now giving you is a list of things to pray about for my preaching, right? I hope that some of you, right, I love angry emails. How dare you say that? And, and I've actually, thank God, I can't believe it, have gotten angry emails. And I'm like, I'm like the, um, I felt like the uh, disciples after they were beaten the first time. I was like, yes, I preach well enough to ang make people angry. 
So as I'm saying this, just keep a list of things uh, you, want, you want to pray for. If somebody starts throwing communion comes at me, we know we're getting somewhere. Now what we're going to do is we're going to move on. Because that whole section from Capernaum I covered last week, um, it, it's very clear. Jesus comes, he declares his word, there's agitation, there's change. Okay, that's how you know he's declaring the word of God. It doesn't record what he said because what he said doesn't actually matter as much as the fact that you see the effect of his preaching. It clearly stirs things up. So we go over to verses 35 through 39, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of the day. This is what it says in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. That is why I came out. And he did. He went out through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So you see, his preaching was never ineffectual. He goes from synagogue to synagogue, right? Synagogue to synagogue. Think of everything you have to do. I covered it last week to be a member of a synagogue. All the laws you have to keep. How clean and pristine you have to be. So he's going from synagogue to synagogue, driving out demons. He's not going down to the temple of Aramis. He's not going down to the Zeus's uh, holy place there, driving spirits out. He's going to synagogues. He's going to churches. If Jesus showed up on the preaching circuit here, where do you think he would go first? Right? We all like to think he'd go to Congress. <laughs> right? There's 469 members of Congress, I think, 489, 489. So I'm sure there's 489 demons there that need to get driven out. So, of course, he'd show up there, especially after the Kavanaugh thing. There's a lot of gnashing teeth. But that's not, this is, this is where we all always go wrong. He would not go to Congress first. He's got much bigger fish to fry because the house of God is, is dirty. It's unclean. And so he goes from church to church, right? It, right? We, oh, we have a guest speaker this week. Believe it or not, it's Jesus Christ. And, and, right? and he would show up, and what do you think he would, right? How comfortable would we be? I, I, I mean, I just can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. It's like I, if Paul would just write us a letter, I'd be fascinated, and I would be shocked by what he would say to us. That's why this whole system has been set up the way it is. Now, Right? We don't have to hope and dream that Jesus comes here and preaches. He does every week, hopefully. hopefully. Right? You know it's him when you don't hear me anymore. Right? This is what I, is you, you work so hard, just get out of the way. That's what, I go to preaching conferences, Doug Wilson, he spent like half a day just telling us, get, just get out of the way. <laughs> don't draw attention to yourself and your angsty problems. Just declare Jesus Christ. And, 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 and when what happens is in the churches, we would have this experience. This is the experience we all want. We, we must and we wa- want this and we need to have the confrontation with Jesus Christ that drives out the, the evilness inside of us. And so, again, we pray that that's it. We pray that, I mean, whoever else shows up up here, that it's Jesus that shows up. And that he won't abandon us. He won't leave us. That he would come here every week and drive the darkness out of us every week. We we pray and hope. So let's get into these these verses now, 35 through 39. Jesus Jesus is, the night before, he spent all evening casting out demons, healing people. It's it's bright and early. 
No, it's before that even. It's dark outside, and he heads out to the wilderness. That's what a desolate place is. It's a, it, it, the word is wilderness. Now, the problem here is that there is no wilderness in Capernaum. So what is Mark talking about? Jesus gets up and goes out of the wilderness, but all around Capernaum, all around this town, is it's cultivated. It's a very large, very prosperous city. And so what, is, what does this mean? Is there somebody's garden who looks an awful lot like the wilderness? <laughs> Did he walk for a couple of days to get away from everyone? No, he got up the same day and goes out to the wilderness because the wilderness that they're talking about is not a physical place. It's a spiritual place. And this goes back and, and reawakens all these themes from the very beginning, this wilderness idea. John calls Israel out to the wilderness. Right? You're all living in the land and God is not in the land. You need to come back out to the wilderness and realize that you're all in a spiritual exile and we need to get things straight, get the way, the way of God cor- straight and correct inside of us so that God would rent heaven and come back and dwell amongst us and lead us back into the land of promise. That was what John's message was. And so Jesus goes into the wilderness where John is, and then he goes further into the wilderness and and, and confronts Satan. And Mark doesn't tell us what happened out there with Satan because what he wants us to think and understand is that Jesus is just there in the wilderness. Everywhere he goes, it's a wilderness. All the comforts of earth, all the glories, all the goodness, all, all the society, wherever he's going, he is in a spiritual wilderness. All, he, I, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. He, he's constantly turning to the, to the Father. His constant companion is the Spirit. He's constantly turning to the Father because the Father provides, right? The will of the Father is my food, he says. He's always in the wilderness. So again, that wasn't just a sermon that we preached way back in the beginning. Hey, everybody, you need a beginning, a new beginning like your first beginning. Remember, that was the sermon I preached. Everybody needs to go back to the wilderness where you were at first and realize how much you need God. We haven't just left that message behind. Jesus is, is, is returning to the wilderness because he knows all this. He's in, he's in the synagogue. He's at all, with all these people. He's doing all this glorious stuff. He goes to his friend's house. He gets served a meal. But he knows all of this. He, he needs the Father. He wants to draw near to the Father. He, he wants no other comforts. He wants no other safety, no other security, but that of the Father. He's constantly in the wilderness. And and, and when we pray for one another, pray that we would all always live in the wilderness. Because everywhere he goes, he knows, no matter how glorious and how cultivated it is, he he lives on the grace of God. He lives by the grace of God. The will of the Father is his food. The will of the Father is his food. This is amazing to me. How desperately, how desperately he needs this. And if he needs this, he needs this desolate place so that all he hears is the Father's voice. How much more do we need it? All the distractions, all the noise, all the carnality, all the sensuality, all the aphorists that we experience all the time, we are so far from living in a wilderness. Lord God, have mercy on us all. 
how easily, right? I mean, it's, I, was, I was prepping this, and I thought, I don't need to talk about that because I just talked about that four weeks ago. <laughs> it, it hasn't been long, and Jesus is right back here because he knows there's nothing else but living a life where everything comes from the Father. A deserted place is where he's gone. And he's out there fighting the spiritual battle because that's what he's all about. It doesn't tell us what he prayed. But we know from other portions of Scripture what that prayer must have been like. What was he like at Gethsemane? Sweating blood. Asking the Father, what am I to do? What am I to do? So he comes into Capernaum. He, he delivers all these people. He's proclaiming all this good news. All these people are all stirred up about it. And then now what am I? Is now the time? Is now the time? Is this the time for me? Right? There, there, there's a lot here. He does not want to be distracted. He does not want to lose focus. He does not want to get off track. He wants to stay on the way of the Lord. And the way that he does it is that going into a quiet place where he can talk to the Father alone. Right? How much do we think we are in control of our own lives? We know what's best. We got it all figured out. And here Jesus is, and he's succeeding in his mission, and he's uncertain about what to do, and he, he needs his batteries charged, and so he goes out to where the Father is. Even in the midst of his success. Right? We usually pray when something horrible is coming down, the, tra- right? the train is coming to run us over, and we pray that God would stop the train. And then the train passes us by, and we go to Starbucks, get our coffee, and head to work. Jesus has experienced all this goodness, and he's still out here as if he's living in a wilderness. Hebrews 13, verses 12 through 15. And so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. He wasn't in the city. He was outside the gate. They took him out into the wilderness to crucify him. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But we don't acknowledge his name. Lord God, you are the one who provides everything. How often do we pray that way? How often do we get down on our knees and thank God for everything that we have in our lives? How often do we get down and acknowledge the fact that he is the Lord, that he's brought every person into our lives that's in our lives. He's given us everything that we're, everything we're doing with our hands comes from his hands. Go out. This is, this is, the, this is a message for people who live in our day. Because we are drowning in distraction. We are drowning in self-righteousness. We are drowning in self-sufficiency. Right? We get, we get up, we go to work, we get a paycheck. What does God have to do with that? I just went to Costco yesterday. You know what I bought? Anything and everything I wanted. Sorry, Ann. <laughs> There's a reason I don't usually get to go to Costco by myself. And, and I, was, I was reflecting on this. A wilderness... It's the furthest, I, I, can hardly, I can hardly comprehend such an idea. Because I have Costco and a Tahoe in which I can fit all of that stuff in. 
And then if it, there's too much, like literally we've talked about, I have a trailer I got from Dean. We've talked about taking the trailer with us to go to Costco so we can fit all of our kids in stuff. <laughs> right? What, what are you talking about a wilderness? What are you talking about a wilderness? And this is the kingdom of God come. He's graciously showing us right here, right now, how easily we forget him. And, and, and we don't feel condemnation, do we? I hope not. He wants us to repent and believe, and he'll do whatever he needs to do to get us there. And so it's what he's doing right now because he loves us. And he's doing it through preaching. <laughs> it's, it's absurd. I'm standing up here talking, and he's talking to you. And he's saying, why? Why have you, have you gone off? Why are you obsessed with all of this stuff in the world when all you need is me? Well, Jesus, I mean, it's, you're God. It's pretty easy. Well, no, look, I, I had the spirit. I laid all of that other stuff down. I had the spirit, and I, it was me and the spirit and the father. In the good times and the bad, in the want and the excess, in the failure and the success, it was me and the Spirit and the Father. That's not how we live. And here he, he wants us to see it so that we want it too. As we have seen, Mark's account of the temptation is striking on two counts. It tells us neither how Jesus was tempted nor how he fared in the tempting. The explanation for this curiosity is that Mark wanted his readers to see that the temptation has, is, is something that continued throughout Jesus' ministry. Do you know how tempting it is for him right now when all this fame is coming his way to roll with it? You're right. You just ride this tide, baby, all the way to Jerusalem and the throne. And he's got to go out because he knows how much of a temptation it is. Satan has withdrawn visibly, but Satan is still present tempting him here. And the way he's tempting him here is through fame. And I've talked to too many pastors, too many elders who, who this is what happens. God does everything, or Satan, because God permits it, does everything he possibly can to tear you down, right? He goes the Job method on you and you lose everything. And if that doesn't work, he gives you everything. And so out in the wilderness in the middle of nothing, Jesus is attacked by Satan. How did it go? Well, it turns out it must have gone pretty well because here's Jesus still fighting. And so Satan says, okay, well, that didn't work. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you fame. I'm going to give you followers. I'm going to give you everything that you actually want. And so Jesus has to pause for a moment and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Something doesn't pass the smell test. And that's what all of this is, this whole thing here. How does he know what he knows? So far, what's the problem with the people in Capernaum? What's wrong with them? They've got a demoniac in their midst. Fine, okay. But, but he seems very uncertain about how things are going in the direction they're going. And, and when you're just reading Mark, you don't really understand why. Now, this is one of those times you go to the other Gospels, we find out. If the works had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah that were done in Capernaum, right? they would have repented and believed. And so it's going to go worse for Capernaum. This is what Jesus says in Luke. So we, we, we're clued in. We're clued in to the fact that something is off. 
through other Gospels. But what I find fascinating about Mark is there's nothing direct about that. Jesus just seems, he doesn't want to go back. He wants to keep moving on. Something is not right here. Now, why? Why would he feel this way? This is a more complicated section because a lot of it has to do with the words that are used in Greek that are lost in translation. They're hunting him. The word that is, that's translated here, that Peter is, he says, uh, everyone is looking for you. The word is hunting you. <laughs> They're hunting you. Now, what's fascinating about this, let's take a moment and think about this. This, this. this is where it gets really interesting. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the, the same word here is used when Saul is hunting David's life. David gets very famous, just like Jesus has gotten very famous. David casts out the demon inside of Saul by playing music, just like Jesus is casting out demons. And Saul is hunting him, because in, in that, they want to kill him. Now, in, in this instance, I don't, right, we know Peter is a little quick on the draw with the sword, we know from later in the story, but I don't think Jesus has followed, or Peter has followed Jesus out here to bury him in the dirt, right, to murder him like Saul was doing. He's trying to murder the mission. What are you doing out here, right? Every, it's totally lost in translate. Peter is not happy. They're riding, he's riding the wave of fame. He's like, man, how big is this, is this thing going to get? This is awesome. And he's not happy with Jesus. What are you doing wandering off at this point? What are you doing out here? And, and we know this from later on, right? As soon as Jesus starts talking about suffering and dying, it's Peter also who says, where do you get off talking that way? Far be it from you to do such a thing. And, and, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So the temptation here in the wilderness hasn't ceased. It's embodied now in his followers. It's embodied in his followers. The attack is not coming from outside. It's coming from within. And so how often does that happen in a church when everything is going well? Suddenly we're going to have 14 rounds of heavyweight fighting over the color of the carpet. We, how many of you guys have, been, have heard horror stories uh, or seen that kind of thing? I, I, I can testify I was at Mars Hill. Okay? And, behind, and behind closed doors, things were really as bad as everyone has heard. Right? So, so it's like a reverse tactic. We're going to take you out in the wilderness where you have nothing. That didn't work. Now we're going to give you everything. So now what we're going to do is revert back to we're, that doesn't work. So we're going to attack you from within. Because the, right? we're all here. We sin. And so what happens is God, God is not the focus. God is not the point. right? We're, we're, we want Jesus to, to get with the program. And so the attack starts to come within because Jesus has wandered off. Jesus, what are you doing over there? I want you to come and work over here. This is what we, we had a church meeting. I don't understand what's wrong, Jesus. We had a church meeting. The deacons and elders were there. And we all decided what we were going to do. And so why are you over there? What are you doing over there? How dare you? It's lost in translation, but this is what Peter is doing, and this is what the people of God do. Right? God must not be working in the world because we don't see him doing what we want him to. Bonhoeffer talks about this. Right? If, if, if the church isn't fitting with your vision of the church, the problem isn't the church. 
You've got to deal with the church you've got and, and who it, who's in it and how it's what what it's made of and the direction that God is taking it. It's like this. I mean, you know how many times I have an idea about what these sermons are going to be about and they, that it doesn't follow that plan at all, right? And the, and the harder I try to steer the thing towards what I wanted to talk about versus following where it's leading me, the more difficult it is all the time. And and the whole church is this way. How many of us are frustrated with the fact that God isn't doing? what we think he ought to be doing, if we really were honest with ourselves. And, and what I find is we haven't even found him yet. We're still Peter looking around for where Jesus is because he's not doing the things we want him to, and we're not really sure where he's working in the community. Can anyone put their finger on it? Where is God at work in Linwood? I have no idea because I, this sermon's as much for me as anybody. Because I'm like, hey, dude, I had this plan. I don't understand. We had a meeting. We had an agenda. <laughs> Did I, I mean, I, maybe I should have submitted it a little earlier to you so you could have had time to review and make sure you were on the right, right, right page. <laughs> Amid a whirlwind of activity, Jesus seeks a still point in prayer with the Father. There is a suggestive parallel in wording between Jesus going out to pray and his going out to preach and expel demons. There's a connection. He says, this is what I've come out to do. I've come out. Okay, I'm not about your agenda. Everyone there in Capernaum is utterly confused about what I'm doing, and so i got to move on now. Because what I, the, the point isn't hunkering down here and making everyone healthier and wealthier. What has it cost the people in Capernaum to have Jesus there? Has it cost them anything? Well, it cost them the demon that was possessing them. I guess that's good, Right? Everything on, on the ledger sheet is lined up in the, in the positive for everyone in Capernaum. And they're seeking him because they want more of that. They want more health and wealth, baby. Right? Jesus, having Jesus around is awesome. Look at how much better we all are. So come back, Jesus, and keep doing this. Let's set up shop right here in Capernaum and make Capernaum the health and wealth center of the world. And they're all confused about what Jesus is doing. This is the first time there is this conflict, and the conflict isn't coming from without, it's coming from within. Peter isn't on board with Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus on board with Peter. And and I'm sure the other disciples are not as bold as Peter, but I'm sure they're standing back going, yeah, what's up, Jesus? Right? I got like three free lunches out of this thing. People are so happy to see me. They're just like throwing things at me. This, this, um, people are still this way. There's famous stories in World War II where they're going from Frenchtown to Frenchtown. And for a bunch of boys far from home, all the food and wine and women, they're just like, hey, why do we have to go to Berlin? <laughs> why go to Berlin? Northern France seems really nice in the fall. Let's just stay here. But there was a mission, wasn't there? Right? Patton's like, guys, get back on the tank. We have to go. And, and that's what Jesus, Jesus is like, you guys do not understand. You don't understand. We like to make a lot out of what Peter has lost, right? He gets up and leaves his business. But how, he hasn't wandered off from home yet. He's still, he's still meeting with his family. He's still eating with his family. In this, after the synagogue, they go to his mother-in-law's house. He hasn't lost anything yet. He's now more famous than ever. Now, I know this isn't going to be too shocking, but I was converted late in life, and it's been nothing but positive, 
right? I mean, real world positive. My wife knew me before I was a Christian. She can testify to the fact that the, that I can hold a job is a miracle, right? <laughs> I understand all the doctrines on one side, but my life is so much. I have a car. I was 24 years old. I didn't have a car. I lived with my parents. Everything is better. And this is what everything for me is better. And so when I want more Jesus, is it, is it that? Is that what I want? More of that. Right? Look at how much my income has grown. Look at, look at all these little followers I have. <laughs> Six of them. And they do whatever I tell them. Right? Amen. Amen. Lewis is doing one of these right there. Right? He knows he's not the king. <laughs> my life is, 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 is transformative. All of ours are. We, we've had losses, don't get me wrong. But how, right, if you follow Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. And, and if you read Proverbs, generally speaking, what happens? We all get better looking and wealthier and more respectable. And over time, just like Capernaum, we think that's the kingdom of heaven. They're like, the kingdom of heaven has come, and it is awesome, and we don't want Jesus wandering off. We want him to stay right here and to stay with this program, because this program is amazing. Peter, has, he grew up in this town, right? So imagine the, the, the unpopular kid in high school suddenly becoming the most popular guy around. He's going to want that to continue. How much of us wanting the kingdom of God to spread is just this. We want this goodness that we've experienced to just keep spreading out into more and more portions of our lives. We want Jesus to hunker down and really give it his all now. Really make me wiser, really make me wealthier, really make me healthier. And so we go out to Jesus and be like, Jesus, again, what are you doing out here in the wilderness when I need you back here at BECU increasing? Right? Remember that miracle you did with the uh, widow and the oil? Well, here's my BECU account, baby. Go for it. Do it. More money. I never would have guessed it as a single man, but it's pretty awesome in, in, in some actually strange ways to have such a big family. I've always been sort of a countercultural guy anyway, and I love the counterculturalness of it. And, and so you think, no, there's all kinds of things we'd never make idols of because we're not insane, but we will make an idol out of anything. Right? I love going to Whole Foods with all those kids. I'm like, man, can we go to the one downtown Seattle? That'd be even better. Like, we will just come in and take that place over and shock and awe everybody. And what is all of that about? And then so people who want kids, who get into this, want more and more and more kids. I know Christians suddenly, I'm like, there is something, this doesn't pass the smell test. There is something off here. You want more of this because you, you associate everything that you have with Jesus coming in. And so you think having more Jesus is having more of this stuff. And, and that's not what it's about. Because what does Jesus say? I didn't come here to do that. He doesn't say I came here to make um, blind people see. Okay, I've, I've come to declare the kingdom of God. Now, in the wake of that, all kinds of glorious things are going to happen. But don't confuse the glorious extensions of the kingdom, the fruit of the kingdom, with the kingdom itself. Because the kingdom is a person. What was in our reading this morning? Paul is warning Timothy because Timothy is a young guy. He's preaching. He's get right. He's appointing elders. He's starting to get a little swagger. 
And the thing that Paul is concerned about is it's going to go to his head. Remember, right, your church uh, planting expedition is exploding right now. You're like Mark Crisco with like five book deals over there. Acts 29 in its heyday. And if you're not careful, Timothy, if you don't remember the word of God, if you don't remember that you are here to preach in season and out of season, and that for everyone, the persecution will come. If you forget that part, you're going to have a very rough road. If it's all uphill, right, if it's all just this trajectory where you just take off and everything is glorious and everything is good and that's the kingdom of heaven, what happens to your faith when that goes away? I've said it several times, I'm going to bring it up. Do you know how many people I know who went to Mars Hill and, and are now not going to church? And it's because Mars Hill imploded. And because the thing that they were about was all the fame. Don't be confused about what the kingdom of heaven is. It is not all of us living in middle class respectability until we die. It's not the fact that, I, right, I'm not going to just retire at 55 and spend the rest of my life playing golf. That's the American dream. That's not Jesus' plan. That's not what he's about. He's about going out and preaching the gospel. Right? Why do we tithe our money? We tithe our money so that we have a person whose job it is to pray and to preach. Now, I like to think that my job is to read books, but it's not. Right? I really want to think that's what I'm here to do. I've always wanted a job where you just pay me to read. But that's not, yeah, Steve's laughing, that's not what my job is. My job is to pray and to preach, to live in the wilderness on, on behalf of all of us and to tap into this message, to tap into this and say, where, where is it that we have gone astray? And then to get out of the way, to let the word of God do its work. The forces of darkness are here. If Jesus wants to come, right, he, he, I'm not preaching in the city center of Seattle. The program hasn't changed. Jesus went around preaching in synagogues. He's still here preaching inside the church. Think about that. Think about that. The problem that he is concerned with is a people of God who are about what he's about, who follow him, and he's still about that. We're shocked that he goes from synagogue to synagogue, but he's still, every Sunday, where, where is the preaching occurring? In the church. Because you guys have idols. You guys have sins. You guys believe the lie that there is condemnation now for you, but there is no condemnation. The sin is not more powerful. The bottle's not more powerful. The wayward kids that is, is totally blowing your minds. This, Christ is sufficient for all of these things. And what he wants are, are people who are in the wilderness and say, I, I have no idea. You didn't tell me the plan. I don't know the plan. All I know is that you are good and I am not. All I know is that you are sufficient and I am not. He wants people who are constantly in the wilderness seeking what he's seeking. It, our lives do not make any sense. A year ago, if you would have told me what, what has happened in this last year, I would not have believed you. Because God does things in all of our lives that is not what we're expecting and not what we're wanting, and we've got to deal with it. Right? He, he, he doesn't say, he doesn't give you a blueprint. He says, follow me and live as if you are living in a wilderness and everything will be fine. Live as if you're living in a wilderness. This is the word of God for us. What, is this, what should this church be about? It should be about all of us all week praying praying that somehow that fool that we've hired to lead us every Sunday is going to tap into the real thing. 
and that the foolish things of the world will humble the wise things of the world, and that the message of God would come through clearly and cut us to the heart and so that we would say when we get up, what, what are we to do? What are we to do? Where are we to go? Not coming to Jesus and saying, hey man, what are you doing way over here? But no, coming and saying, this is where you're going, I will follow. I'm with you. Our prayer should be for this pulpit to be a powerful tool, not just in the, in, in the neighborhood around us, but in the lives of everyone, man, woman, and child who attends this church. The, it doesn't matter after that. Jesus came to preach. He came into this community. He came into your life so that week after week, he would declare the word of God to you and that you would become more like him. And so as you pray through this, pray that that would happen. That's what the ministry of this church is. And then, then on top of that, it's not just about you. It's about the whole world. I suddenly realized recently that people listen to our sermons online. And you know what I've never done is prayed for the people who might be listening to them. Because I pray very hard. I have no idea who's going to be at church. Right? Everybody could be sick. It could be two people. It could be a whole bunch of visitors. I have no idea. But I pray, like, I have no idea who's going to be there, but you know who's going to be there, and you know what they need to hear. Are we all praying that way about this service? Are we praying about that way, that way about the ministry of the whole church? God has given us a huge megaphone. He's, he's given us, we, we are a strong church with faithful people, financially stable. We have all of this strength, all of this, all of these talents. And are we using it to declare the word of God to the world, to one another and to the world? Jesus' program has not, he came into the world to preach. He came into the world to preach this, that the kingdom of, Han, kingdom of God is near to repent and to believe. The message hasn't changed, and he's still doing it right here in the middle of the people of God. Synagogue to synagogue. Driving out the darkness. Now, there you go. If it's not driving out the darkness, is it Jesus preaching? It doesn't tell us the content of his sermons. It just shows us the effect of it. The effect of it is what we need to start looking for. I'm not here to itch your ears. I'm not here to tickle you. God, from a very young age, has given me an ability with alliteration that has startled many. The alliteration is not the point. That you would feel a burning in your bosom and that you would want to draw near to God and that you would want to go into the wilderness and, and live there, near to him. That is the point. That is the ministry of this church. And, and if it's not, if this pulpit isn't forcing us to go in that direction, it's not the preaching of Jesus Christ. We all need to pray that God would rend heaven again and that he would come again in power by his spirit, leading us to follow his son that his son would be elevated and glorified and praised in our midst, that our whole lives would be about his plan. And his plan, we don't know. We'll wake up tomorrow and we'll see what it is. But whatever it is, what does he want us to do? Prayerfully, faithfully, trust him and obey him in whatever comes. We need to pray to that end. We need to encourage each other to that end. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you that you um, will, in fact, finish what you began in each of us and that your means for doing so is the word of God preached boldly and clearly every week. 
We pray, Lord God, for the ministry of this church, that we would uh, extol your son, that we would lift him up, that we would proclaim the gospel to our wives and our husbands, our children, to one another, and to the community. Um, Like the thief on the cross, Lord, who was converted merely by seeing the power of the gospel and not hearing the gospel, we pray, Lord God, that we would not just make it a, a preaching of words, but a preaching of our lives. That when people saw us, they would see you. When they hear us, they would hear you. When we drew near to them, that they would feel as if you are drawing near to them as well. I pray, Father God, for everyone here, that you would continue to cleanse them and bless them. And, and I pray, Lord, that your love would continue to pour out on all of their hearts and that they would, not just right now, but every day this week, draw nearer and nearer to you. Amen.